Welcome to the Grace City Eugene podcast. We exist to help every person in our sphere of influence to encounter Christ, experience biblical community, and extend God's kingdom. You can learn more about us at gracecityeugene.com. Here's the podcast. City. Uh, great to be here with you today. Um, quick question. How many of you have seen or familiar with the TV show Saturday Night Live? Yes. Amen. Okay. I'm not endorsing it, actually. Um, but I watched a ton of it in college, and I loved like that it was live and like the, the atmosphere. It was like such a crazy time, and I always dreamed of being a comedian and being on Saturday Night Live. Um, and if you know the show, you know that every week there's a guest celebrity who comes in and they kind of like help run the show. And they have a starting monologue. Typically, it's they, you know, have some jokes or they sing a song. It's usually a little cringy. But if, uh, if they're a celebrity who came for a more, from a more humble background, um, their monologue often goes something like this. They'll say, I grew up watching Saturday Night Live as a little kid. I'd stay up really late with my dad on the couch, way past my bedtime. And I never imagined I would be here hosting Saturday Night Live. And then the crowd goes wild and they're so excited. And they usually are like, haha, do like a little chuckle and like some finger guns. Uh, and then when it all calms down, they say, and kids, if you're at home, go to bed. And they look at the camera. Um, well, sadly, I'll probably never host Saturday Night Live. <laughs> Sad. Um, but guess what? I grew up coming to church every Sunday morning when I was really little. I'd put on the uncomfortable clothes. I'd fight with my parents the whole way to church. Um, and I would sit in pews, bleachers, chairs, whatever church we were at, whatever they have. Um, but I never imagined that I would be here on a Sunday morning on this stage preaching, and we're live! <laughs> Amazing. Um, thank you. <laughs> and if you're watching this at home, please don't fall asleep. <laughs> don't do that. All right, well, thanks for making my dreams come true. <laughs> um, so today I'm closing our Unshakable series, and we have had 12 weeks of it so far and considered 13 aspects of our unshakable life um, that we are promised when we live with Jesus. So this is week 13. Um, there's been some amazing sermons. You can go back through our podcasts and listen to those and find encouragement um, when you just feel like life does feel shaky, and I know it's not how it's supposed to be with Jesus. Um, but real quick, anyone that isn't Chris or Casey, um, I want to see if anyone in the room can name at least five of the unshakables that we talked about. And I worked with middle schoolers, so I brought candy. Anyone feeling brave, can you name five of the unshakables? Anyone? Yeah, it's about how it is for me, too. Okay, how about, um, does anyone know what we talked about last week? Drea preached. Yeah, let's go. Compassion. Come on, Melissa. Oh, that's also how it goes. Okay. Um, what about, I know the one that stuck out to me a lot. Can anyone tell me what Rod preached about? Fast and Furious vibes? Anyone? Family. Yes. Amazing. Voila. Oh, no. It's not going to make it. Okay. And one for my dad because he likes candy and he's here. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to go over it with you because... I, like you, typically every week I'm like, I don't remember what we talked about. I know it's good, I just don't remember. So, so far we have talked about, oh, it's over here, sorry. I've got this in the wrong order. Okay, 
So we have the unshakable life, the unshakable story, surrender, direction, power, hunger, mission, family, devotion, hope, generosity, and compassion. So those are all of them. Today, we are going to get into our destiny, our unshakable destiny. We're going to cover what our destiny is, uh, what we know about it, about it via the Bible, and how to prepare for this destiny. <sighs> okay, so um, preparation matters, yes? We all know preparation matters. Um, I am pregnant right now, which is very exciting. <laughs> um, I've never been pregnant, um, and so that's new. Um, and when I found out I was pregnant, the first thing I did was, um, well, I took some tests, yes. Um, I took four <laughs> in 15 minutes about, um, because I three of them were expired, and I was like, this isn't good. And then Casey ran to the store, so that's a little bit about me. I'm like, let's make sure. Things are real. Let's really test that out. Um, and then immediately after that, I started to do what I do when I'm preparing and feel unprepared. And I started spiral Googling. Um, <laughs> and I wish this was more spread out, but this was like 30 seconds that I Googled so many things that I was nervous about. It's a little hard to read, but it's a lot. It's overwhelming. Um, so <laughs> that's how I started to prepare. I knew something big was coming. Um, and I knew... Um, Oh, I knew it was coming, and I know people who have had babies have things to say about it. It's online. Um, and I knew I would be foolish to not immediately change my lifestyle, right? Even like that morning cup of coffee, you're like, can I have that? Um, as I was drinking it already. <laughs> um, so I'd immediately change my lifestyle. But when you're pregnant, there's kind of two steps to preparation. Um, I have to prepare my body right now with the right nutrients to grow a baby. Um, I have to prepare for birth. <laughs> Lord help me. <laughs> it's a little <laughs> freaky. Um, and there's like all this pre-baby preparation that happens when um, you know that you're carrying a child and you're advised to avoid a lot of things, do certain things. Um, it's a big change. But there is another preparation that I am juggling at the same time. I'm preparing to be a parent. Um, I am going to have my life forever changed, so I can't just focus on making sure my body's great for pregnancy, um, because then there's going to be a whole freaking baby in my house, <laughs> and I will have thought nothing about it, <laughs> and what to do, and how much it cries, and how much they need to eat, and how to help keep them safe. So I am preparing my body right now, um, but I also have to think about what is to come in the future. So when you know something of this weight and magnitude is coming, you are told to prepare, and it would be foolish not to. A little water sip. Okay. So today we're going to talk about preparation for something much bigger than what we have going in our life right now. Um, we are preparing for an unshakable destiny. And it's our big idea, the unshakable life is destined for an eternity with God. And that's what we're going to focus on. So for those of you that are note takers or you just kind of like like to know what's going on, <laughs> um, here's a little big picture outline. We're going to look at what our destiny is, what the Bible says about what is to come, and how we can prepare for it practically right now. So what is our destiny? In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 through 18, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. 
and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So we're all going to take a really big breath, a sigh of relief right now. I'm not about to jump into end times theology. <laughs> There's no pre-post-tribulation here. Uh, the left behind movies gave me nightmares as a child. So we're not going to get into that. <laughs> no fights after service. Um, but our destiny and simple is that one day we will be with God in heaven. And this should be encouraging news. And we should encourage others with this news. Um, so that was the shortest point of that three-point outline that I gave you. <laughs> so on to the next. We're going to talk about what we know via the Bible. Um, the king is coming. He is the judge and the savior. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and we will be with him for eternity. So starting with the return of the king, we're going to go through a bunch of verses. Um, I may or may not say the references because I know I'll get really messed up trying to say them all because they're quick. Um, but we do know from the Bible that Jesus will return. It will be personal and bodily. So what we just read, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven. It's going to be visible. Um, this is the Revelation one. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. It will be triumphant and glorious, which is a sharp contrast to the first time Jesus came. When Jesus came the first time, he was a baby born in a manger, and most people didn't even know who he was, except for the people that got to see the star and experience him. Um, it took 30 years of life before his ministry started, and there were so many people that didn't know. He had a really humble beginning, but what it says here is that um, the Son of Man is coming. Oh, wait, sorry, wrong one. Okay. Um, <laughs> then will appear in the heaven a sign of the Son of Man, and then all tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So that's in Matthew 24. We also know that Jesus' coming and return will be sudden and unexpected. So in Matthew 24, it says, Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The Bible emphatically and clearly states that the second coming of Jesus is happening, but it also states that we do not know the time and we're not to know the time. And the Bible also says it's something that we should long for. It says, he who testifies of these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, in Revelation. So to be awaiting his return is not something that we should do passively. It's not just, eh, I'll get here when it gets here, you know. Um, it's something that we should, you know, amen, come, Lord Jesus, we're excited for, and we're doing something in the meantime. And the Bible talks about then that Jesus is the judge and the savior. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Acts 17, verse 30 through 31. So Christ is going to judge the whole world all at once, believers and unbelievers. Christ's perfect justice will be fulfilled and only those who have placed their trust in Christ for salvation will be justified. Christians will face judgment to test the worth of the way in which they lived, which we see in Revelation 20, verse 12. So how did we live? Did we live to advance God's kingdom? What is that? What is that going to look like when we're judged? Because the great thing is, is when we get there and, you know, they're going over, here's the sins, 
we're Christians and we have our faith in Christ and we've lived in repentance. And so it's when we get to hear, you are forgiven of these sins. But are we going to get there and just hear, here's your list of sins you're forgiven from? Or like also, here's all the things you did for the kingdom. Here's all the things we get to rejoice in now in heaven because this wasn't about earth. This was about here. This is why we did this, was to be here. So the next thing we know is that the kingdom is coming. Um, in 2 Peter chapter 3, it says, But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in righteous, which righteousness dwells. The return of Christ signifies the final establishment of the kingdom of God. God's creation of new heavens and earth is the final phase of his redeeming work. The restored creation will be freed from the tragic effects of sin and the curse, and perfect fellowship with God will be restored. So this is what we know. This is just scripture. This isn't interpretations on scripture. This is just what it says about Jesus is coming back. And we can all look at those verses and know if we believe that the Bible is the word of God and it's the truth, then we should believe that all these things are true and that God is returning and that he has called us to some things. So next, what do we do about it? Preparation. We're going to talk about some um, essentials and preparation for our destiny that are outlined in Scripture and that we're called to. So I have four of them here. Okay. <laughs> um, so the first is to have an eternal perspective. And I heard this a lot growing up in church. Um, I heard it from my grandparents a lot, too, and the rhetoric of, like, this is not our home. Uh, and I think I always kind of heard it in this lens of, like, I can't wait to be gone. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't feel that way. Um, okay. And so, and, like, I don't think it's totally misplaced. Like, there is an excitement for what's next, but it's not like, you know, just hate where you are now until you get there. Um, there's, there's something we need to do in the, in the meantime. So what does an eternal perspective look like? Um, it actually plays out in our day-to-day -day life a lot. We think about what, is our, what does our worldly perspective look like? And oftentimes we have a lot of life goals and there's, there's ways we spend our time. So we have savings, retirement, what does my house look like? It's cozy. Um, I need to care about my kids, their college fund. Are they set up for success? Is my business successful? Um, what about my legacy? Um, and those are things that kind of consume our thoughts day to day. But what would it look like if our goals and the way we spent our time incorporated our internal perspective? Because ultimately those things do reflect our values. So what would it look like if our goals were also, um, how am I reaching out into my community so I actually come in contact with lost people? Like what interests do I have that I can share with my community that I'm going to have connections with people that aren't in my church? Um, instead of just worrying about my kids' college fund, do I worry about, am I talking to them every day about Jesus? Do they know my testimony as their parent? Um, do I believe that they're equipped to share their faith with their friends at school? Do I invest my time and my resources into reaching lost people? This is all a part of eternal perspective, and if we're not intentional about it, what tends to happen is we kind of think, like, eventually— those things just fall into place because I'm a Christian, right? But it has to be intentional because we're intentional about all the other things. So we need to be intentional about this. So that was eternal perspective, something we need. The second is diligence and faithfulness. And a few weeks ago, we learned from Pastor Chris about the parable with the talents and um, the servants who had one, two, and five talents and a call to be faithful wherever we are and with whatever we have. 
Another way to be diligent that has been really heavy on my heart is a lifestyle of repentance and what that does to our heart. I notice that I'm more likely to change a habit if I, a bad habit, if I apologize for it. Um, so, for example, if I snap at Casey because I'm upset and I'm pregnant <laughs> and he's not doing what I want him to do and I snap and say something mean and then I immediately follow it up with, well, oh, these hormones, okay, just give me a break. What does that lay the groundwork for? Lays the groundwork for next time I snap at him, it's just fine. There's no problem with it because I've already justified why it's okay. And so I will continue to snap at Casey and be rude and ruin our relationship and our trust and our friendship because I've justified why it's okay. And so I don't need to apologize. But if instead I say, okay, yeah, the hormones are there and I'm being impatient, but hey, Casey, like, that's not really okay. It's not how I want our relationship to be. I want to love you and care for you. Um, and I am very sorry for what I did, and I don't want to be that way in the future. That lays the groundwork for accountability, because if I snap at Casey, he can say, hey, you told me you were going to try, you know, harder, and say, oh, I'm sorry, and it holds me accountable, and oftentimes it's embarrassing when we do something we just said we weren't going to do and apologized for, um, but it changes the dynamic, and it also stops us from being able to form a pattern of habitual sin in those small moments. So in the same way, um, I would just encourage everyone, like, take advantage of your church family and your people who love Jesus. Repent because it allows for an accountability with people that we don't have otherwise. And I've been in churches where, like, that was not the way I lived, and I had a lot of habitual sin, and I felt like it didn't affect other people, so why should it matter? Um, but being here in this community and being known and getting to talk to people and be honest about, like, hey, like, here's my shortcomings, here's where I'm really struggling, here's where even like I've sinned against you and I felt bitter about you, I'm so sorry I don't want to do that again, then it's going to cause problems if I do it again. And so I have that accountability and that's what God calls us to in church. So I believe that diligence and faithfulness not only prepares us to be um, great stewards, but it also prepares us to be accountable to our actions in our community. So we're also called to be fruitful. And a little bit of what I said earlier, fruit cannot be by accident. Technically, it can. So <laughs> occasionally, you got that fruit tree in your backyard, and it's just there. Um, and you're like, I don't know what to do with it. And guess what kind of fruit it is? It's the kind that you draw straws for to see who's going to go pick up the stinky fruit in the backyard because it's ruining our lawn and our dog's trying to eat it. Okay? It's not good. <laughs> so accidental fruit, fruit that we do not care for and do not tend to, it's not great. We cannot be passive about fruit. That's not what God asks of us. And this ties back into goals and perspectives. When we think ahead about our lives and we think about, I want to see people reach for God. And we think about, what do I have to do now that in the next five to ten years that happens? Because sometimes it does take a really long time to reach people. Um, but there is a thing, I, I just see a lot of people fall into the trap of thinking, because I'm Christian, eventually it'll happen and someone will just waltz into my life. And like, yes, occasionally that happens, but that's not all we're called to. We're called to spread the gospel and go into all the world. And if we're not planning out those ways of like, how do I, how do I get where lost people are in a way that even like God's gifted me for, God's given me the resources for and the time for, um, then then we get to be intentional and in investing in those people's lives. And we actually get to see that fruit instead of looking back on the past five years and going, oh, I kind of figured something would happen by now. <laughs> like I'm Christian, right? Like it should have happened. So um, 
when we invest our time, our resources, and our gifts into being fruitful, there's a way better chance that we will actually be fruitful, like we talked about with the parable. Um, I read First th Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians um, over the past weeks. And there is a really heavy emphasis there, and we talked about a little bit, on God's return. But there's an equally heavy emphasis on reaching the lost. And I think these two go hand in hand for a lot of reasons that we'll discuss. It's very redundant, um, and it's our call. And I can't assign homework, but I would encourage you to read First and Second Thessalonians because I was really encouraged by it. Um, I was really amazed by the way that Paul talks about the people. So many times he says, they're so faithful, they're fruitful. You're like, you're so filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, and it's, it's so cool to read and think like, I hope that I live a life that Paul would have wrote me a letter like that. That it wouldn't be the other letters <laughs> that are like, you people. <laughs> um, but it would be like, you are so faithful with what you have. And look at the fruit of your life. And I can tell that you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because there's a difference between pursuing ministry with and without the Holy Spirit. It looks very different. And I've lived both lives. And one is very hard. <laughs> and it is noticeable. So, being fruitful. That's the third thing we're called to. The fourth we're called to be hopeful. We have hope in the return of Christ, but we also have hope in every day that we have him in our lives. How many, have you, how many of you have experienced hope in Jesus in hard times in your day-to-day -day life? Yeah, that's why a lot of us are here. Um, we experience the hope in Jesus. And this world is so hopeless. Um, and it's really heavy. And I don't know about you, but there's a lot of narratives online and in our lives that are really aimed at stealing our hope. So I want you to step into my world for a second, a little bit. Um, so I was working with Youth for Christ with middle schoolers, um, and this is something I see often. So I'm not asking you to agree with any of the things that I'm saying. I'm saying step into the mind of an 11 or 12-year-old who's never taken a government class, who's never taken a worldview class, who knows very little about how the world works, but they do have an iPhone, and they are seeing the same things we are. There isn't parental control for them. So here's some frequent headlines that we see. Headline, gun violence is at an all-time high in schools, in theaters, in malls, block parties. You're never safe. The narrative, don't plan for your future. You'll probably get shot before high school anyways. It's hopeless. Headline, due to pollution, our world will end by 2050. The bees are dying, animals are going extinct, the coral reefs are all but gone, and the ice caps are melting. The narrative, the world is going to end or be apocalyptic by the time you're 40, so don't bother planning for your future, it's hopeless. Headline, inflation is only going up, hedge funds are buying all the affordable housing, Every industry and field is oversaturated, so you probably won't become successful, and Google's probably going to own the whole world anyways. <laughs> the narrative, you have no control. It doesn't matter how well you do in school. It doesn't matter how smart you are, how good you are. It just doesn't matter. It's all hopeless. I have both seen and experienced what these messages do to people. I've seen the lack of hope in youth and the skepticism that there is any hope and that it's not all just like false toxic positivity. A common joke I see online is kids joking about, I didn't ask to be here. I wish I wasn't alive. It would be better if I wasn't. Um, and it's taken so lightly, and the depression and the anxiety and actual lack of will to live is really prevalent in youth right now. 
But I also think it would be silly to think that it just affects youth because it's really affecting all of us. Regardless of whether or not we believe these things, we are surrounded by headlines and tough conversations and they're on our phone and they're on our screens and in the store and even in our home. There's so many things that aim to steal our hope. But we have an unshakable hope. And we know that God is bigger than any circumstance. And if you have experienced a relationship with God, then hopefully you have experienced the peace that passes understanding. And it's life-changing. When we are faithful and have hope in him, he provides not only tangibly, but also emotionally. He provides peace when my anxiety says it's hopeless. He provides community when my depression says, no one cares about you, don't bother. But I'm just asking you guys, don't keep this hope to yourselves. It's not what we're called to. We're depriving people of hope when we are not sharing the gospel. And it's selfish to keep it to ourselves and know that God's transformed our lives, but we're not really caring if it's transforming anyone else's, and especially people that are suffering. So, we've talked about our destiny and what it is, and we've talked about what we know and what we should do to prepare and to any note-takers, I'm really sorry, but I'm adding a fourth point. <laughs> I know I said three. So our fourth point is what if we neglect this destiny, our call? If I don't prepare for this baby, I'm actually at risk to harm them. I could neglect all the warnings, and I could eat and drink and do whatever I want and not change my lifestyle, even though I know what's coming. But what would that result in? It's very tragic, but oftentimes it can result in a malnourished baby, problems developmentally, or even a miscarriage. In the same way, I've seen what happens to Christians who neglect their call. They become self-obsessed, only caring about their own faith, and they usually stop caring whether or not they reflect Jesus at all or they pick it apart because they don't want to deal with the guilt of neglecting their call. So they find reasons why their faith isn't as significant or doesn't matter as much as it should. Their faith tends to die. And they become the very people that Jesus addresses in Mark chapter 7. In verse 22, it says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we did prophesy in your name, and we drove out demons in your name, and we performed miracles in your name. And then he will say to them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, evildoers. In Thessalonians, right after Paul is done saying a lot of really great and sweet things to encourage the church, he also gives us a warning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. When we are idle and neglect our call, we are prone to passiveness which leads us to be less diligent and less faithful and less fruitful. And ultimately this, that we know Jesus is coming back and we've been told, but he surprises us like coming home to a thief in your home. And that's not, I think we hear it a lot. And so it's like a light, you know, like a thief in the night, but it's like, that's horrifying. <laughs> like coming home to a thief in your home, it's scary. And that's powerful imagery to say like, it should scare you if you are a Christian and you are caught off guard by Jesus's return because it means that you are not fulfilling your call. We see yet one more warning in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 through 11. They say, even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. 
I just imagine a lot of middle schoolers being like, ooh. Um, it's like working hard or hardly, wait, working hard or hardly working? Yeah, that thing. Um, so again, there's this, there's this follow-up. If you neglect your call, there is an outcome. And in this case, neglecting our call, being passive, being idle, often leads, leads to sin. Not busy at work, but busy bodies. There's so many warnings in the Bible, like so many, about uh, idleness and gossip and meddling and busybodies. And it's kind of just like sprinkled in there, but it's amazing how much it pops up. Um, I lived in a house with 50 girls, <laughs> and like gossip was real prevalent. <laughs> and that was a verse that came up a lot in my life, was just like how often the Bible takes this so seriously because I think as Christians, we kind of see it as like a, a low-down sin, like gossip and meddling and idleness are not that big of a deal, um, but it leads to an incredibly destructive life. And I know for me, participating in the gossip and the idleness and neglecting my call and just being a part of the culture I was in um, actually resulted in like severe anxiety for me because I was always nervous about what people were saying behind my back and always nervous the things I said would catch up with them. And when we think about this in a church setting, which is who he's addressing here, it tears things apart. And like Chris shared earlier, like protect your home. Like we have to protect our church. And this lifestyle of just saying like, I'm here, I show up, it leaves you open to, you know, like hearing things, asking questions for answers you don't need, and then using that to harm people around you in the church. So there's a duality here. It's both to be on mission, to reach the world in hopes for their salvation, but it's also for our own sanctification, because if we're not reaching people, we've become distracted by the world and like them. Um, worship team, if you want to come up. Um, so... Our unshakable destiny is to know what's coming, which we all do. Um, if you didn't, now I read you all the verses, so you do know. <laughs> um, it's to prepare ourselves for what's coming and reach the lost because they don't know. And we should never neglect this call because it's literally life or death if we don't. So I want to end the sermon by sharing a dream I had a few weeks ago. Um, and it was like very, like startled me awake. But um, I was looking, I don't know, you know dreams, you just like pop up. <laughs> you don't like walk up to the scenario. So I'm there and there's this massive room, like a huge concert venue. And it's full of people. Um, and the outside was all made of glass. So you could see everything that was happening inside of it. And when I was watching, I saw this huge fire start raging inside and people were dying. And I looked around and I saw I wasn't alone outside. There was a bunch of Christians, and it's a dream, so I just knew they were Christians. Um, and they started falling to their knees and praying, God, please stop this fire. And I noticed that each Christian had a key on their hip. And the large venue wasn't made of windows, it was made of doors. And I realized that the keys opened this doors. And I said, why don't you let them out? And someone turned to me and said, well, they chose to go in. I think it's a sad reality that oftentimes we are scared to open the door. And God has equipped us with our testimony, with the gospel, with our time, with the breath in our lungs, everything he's gifted us to reach people. And the key just in this dream, it's the hope that we have and we're called to share with people. But oftentimes we feel like, well, 
they chose that lifestyle, they clearly want nothing to do with Jesus, or we try to justify and even judge why they're not worthy of this. We're not called to pull anyone out of the room screaming and kicking, right? Like, that's not our call. We're called to do it in love, but so often we just, we can't even open the door, or we don't even get anywhere near a place that we could. We're not looking for people who might be open to hearing the gospel because we're too nervous about our ability to open the door. So there's nothing wrong with prayer and praying against the sin in the world, but also think about ourselves. Pray for the strength to reach people. This call means spreading the gospel to our neighbors and our community and our campus and our children and everyone. And we have a destiny to share hope with others. And I just don't want us to wait to pursue people because it's our destiny and we know how important it is and it would be foolish not to prepare and start now. Let's pray. God, I just pray that you would fill us with your spirit, Lord. I thank you for your word and your encouragement and your call, God. I just pray for each of us in this room, Lord, as we're thinking this over and what it means. God, I just pray that everyone would be encouraged by this and that it would just start a fire in us that we would look at our lifestyle and evaluate what are my goals am i making time for people what am i doing to reach the lost god i just pray for a radical transformation in our hearts that our life would not just be about us but that we would actually have an eternal perspective every day and that we would think about the fact that this is not just a one we're here on sundays situation but we're called to care about this every day of our life. I pray for the parents in this room that you would just empower them to empower their children to have conversations, God, and that their home would be a place when their kids' friends come in, they would know your love, God. I just pray for every part of our life that we are equipped to share, that we have connections with people, that we pass hopeless people, and we have an opportunity to speak into their life. God, I pray that we would take it. I pray that we would be filled with your strength, God. I pray for the Holy Spirit in us, God, because it is what ultimately causes us to be successful in this, God. I thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to equip us. In your name, Jesus, amen.